The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, only NFL podcast where one of the hosts would never get called for illegal hands to the face because he doesn't have hands. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I am so excited. Ahead of week 17, which feels crazy to say. Uh, to be joined by a, I think this is her second time, third time? One, second, second time? Third, I think. Second time? Yeah, pod. second time. The great Carmen Vitali, who covers the NFC North for Fox Sports, knows uh, the Bucks who we're going to talk about today extremely well. This is like sure perfect do. timing to have you on. I could spend all hour talking about Jair Alexander, Carmen. Please stop mm-hmm. me. I won't because we can both do it. I love the story so much. The stories, the stories I have, the stories I have. Oh, you have? So I, oh, I'm yeah. so glad because you're a reporter. So you're in the locker room. So you know things. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We are going to talk about uh, the Packers and the Vikings who play on Sunday night this week. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Jair Alexander, who's a Packers cornerback, will not be playing in that game because he has been suspended because. Uh, I'll, I'll Wait, try Nina, to... he got suspended because. Oh no. <laughs> I don't think I don't think coach knew that I'm from Charlotte. I don't I don't so you know I just I had the guys behind me. I had the guys behind me. That's all that matters. He had the guys behind him literally because he went out to the field and pretended to be a captain and then screwed up the coin flip against the Panthers. Uh the Mina, I just uh, I wanted the defense on the field. I wanted the defense on the field. I encourage everyone. I thought to that was pretty the, simple. The video of him where he looks exactly like Carmen right now, explaining it. So we're not really explaining it. It's amazing. <laughs> it's honestly one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I totally derailed it there just then, just then. But he is. It was his first game back after six games, <sighs> and he gets himself suspended. <laughs> so he's not going to be on the field again after what wasn't a good game, by the way, showed absolutely no remorse for walking out with the captains, which of which he's not one. They have rotating captains. And just because he decided he should be out there because he's from Charlotte and then made the call on the coin flip, he was right. He called tails, but then also said, hey, uh, we want the defense wants the ball, which the ref could have taken to mean that they wanted to kick off, which means they would have been making a choice and therefore given the Carolina Panthers two different possessions at the start of each half, an extra possession. Thank God Matt LaFleur, apparently every game he goes to the refs and says, if we win the toss, I want to defer or whatever it is that game. Yes, he does. So that is something that he makes. Because apparently this isn't the first time that there's been some confusion within the Packers locker room about what deferring means or making those elections at at the time. I, every coach yeah. should do that. I didn't know that part of the story. That seems mm-hmm. you should, it, it seems like a good way to protect yourself from this happening. Because, you know, in his defense, the language is a little complicated. I mean, you could see how somebody, not someone who is, uh, it's their job, but a, a, a random person might be a little confused. Um, yeah, it's it's not great. Packers defense not great. We'll talk about that. We'll wait till the end to talk about that. Yes. Um. It's terrific that you're on this week, not just to talk about that game. And and I alluded to the Bucks, but we've got a big Lions game. Your division is so hot right now, so relevant right now. 
Uh, but before Who knew? To, yeah, right. <laughs> but well, everything's relevant right now. I mean, so many teams are still in playoff contention. It's it's wild. It was hard to choose games. Although a lot of the games are between teams in playoff contention. They're they're, they're very winnable games that certain teams have. Um, before we get to that, though, I do want to hit one piece of news um, involving a team that is actually still in playoff contention, although uh, they have a pretty slim chance of making it in. That's the Denver Broncos, uh, who are still, quote, in the hunt. Uh, unlikely, you know, things would have to go their way in terms of uh, in addition to winning out. But they don't care. Uh, or maybe they do care. Maybe they thought this was, uh, from a full perspective, the best move as well. They, they announced that they're benching Russell Wilson. Um, so... There's so many pieces to this. I think the probably the most important one that's worth noting at the, before we even get into it is that Russell Wilson, and this was reported almost immediately, had has uh, $37 million in injury guarantees that would kick in. They, they, they kick in in the beginning of March. They would kick in, though, if he were hurt the last couple of games of the season. So I think a lot of people saw this and thought, okay, well, they're, they're protecting themselves from that. Because, and this is, I think, the natural um, progression of that line of thinking, they're going to move on from him. Right. Now, we say natural, but like that is a remarkable thing to say, considering not only the uh, incredible haul that they gave up to give Russell Wilson, but that if they do move on from him, uh, it would be a cap hit in terms of dead money of over $80 million. Now they could spread yeah. that out over a couple seasons with a post-June first cut, but that's unprecedented territory, Carmen. Yeah. So let's start there. Do you think this is obviously about the money? Uh, and do you think that it's unfair to Russ in any ways? Uh, do you think it's, you know, I guess something that, can be like there is a football reason for it there's so many different angles to look at this i don't think that there's much of a football reason for it because of what you just mentioned that the broncos are still technically in playoff contention and i don't know any coach or any football-minded person that's going to say that's going to give up at this point even if it's a slim chance it's it's the so you're saying there's a chance yeah i think this is a business decision and i wouldn't be surprised if, if ownership had something to do with stepping in and saying listen we don't want to risk putting this putting giving this money to a guy that we already are if the decision hasn't been made close to making that decision that he is not going to be part of our future at least in the long term and they don't they want to protect themselves so they can go out and get someone else i think that aaron rodgers in a lot of ways opened the door for the the way that these teams can take on the dead this dead money and yeah. figure out kind of ways around it and ways to work within it it's still not ideal but it's been done, not to this degree, but this kind of opens the door like, all right, well, look, the Packers took on all that dead money by letting that by trading Aaron Rodgers. They're OK. They're figuring it out. What's the, the quiet part is that the Broncos aren't set up like the Packers are. They don't have a plan like the Packers had. This was always the plan, I think, for the Packers, regardless of how much dead money was included. So I think it was a business decision completely. I don't see how you can argue that it was it had anything to do with football. And as far as Russ is concerned, I'm not going to like he's not the, the he's not the main problem or he's not the only problem I should say in Denver. There's clearly some myriad issues within either the front office and both sides of the ball and in the coaching staff and they just haven't been able to get it right for the past couple of years. And I just think that for him it's 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 kind of like all right, well, 
he should have been better. I think it's one of those things where two things can be true. He yeah. should have been better, but he doesn't deserve all of the blame either. And he hasn't been playing terribly. It's he's He's been relatively average and that's a lot of money to pay for an average quarterback. But if I was him, I would be, I would be miffed. I think that's um, what you just said there. It's like a lot of money for an average quarterback is kind of what makes this a little bit tricky and where I land on things. Cause like, yeah, I've, I've talked about this offense this season. They've been fine. Not great. Russ has been very conservative. They don't really push the ball down the field very much. Yeah. Um, I think the last few weeks he's been a little bit worse. And I think losing to you know New England to the Zap Man, that was sort of embarrassing for them, I imagine, for ownership. Um, but like on the on net on the season, he's been fine. But he has not been fine relative to the trade and the cap hit, which is hung over him and there are great like if he was let's say you know he was on a baker mayfield who we're gonna talk about style contract i don't think anybody right. would he wouldn't be seen as a problem people would say wow well, you know yeah. he's playing okay like you know it's fine yeah. but he's not he has the six highest cap hit in football and to your point about the packers which is very astute that is now a cap hit that we, we now have seen teams do this like you know with mm-hmm. we'll see what happens with arizona and kyler murray and his contract but like it's a new world when it comes to dead money and team's willingness to move on um it is a lot of money though and they're going to be in a really difficult situation so i think just um let's hit the rust side of it but first the denver side in terms of the future it does seem like a foregone conclusion like i don't think they would be doing this if ownership hadn't said okay we're willing to take that kind of financial hit they're already way uh they're pressed for cap space it's not there i think they're like 28th in cap space in 2024 it's not good um, so they won't, I, I don't believe they'll be able to, you know, sign any meaningful free agents. Not that there are that many, they're currently picking 14th in the draft, but it's like a huge cluster. Um, you know, covering the bears all too well after those first <laughs> few picks, you got a bunch of teams who have like six losses and a bunch of teams that have seven losses, including Denver. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of what they do at quarterback. But you have to think it's either going to be either they're going to really go in on a young guy or it'll be a transitional year. Um, as far as Russ goes, Carmen, I don't know. I, I, I like, would, do you think there'll be possible destinations for him? I don't, I don't know what kind of market there is because of what you said that he's been very average and he's performed badly to with against really bad teams. I think I feel like he's been playing down to his level of competition a lot. Also, he's been very risk averse, which isn't the Russell Wilson that we're used to seeing when you're you're talking about how conservative he's been playing and he's aging. He's on the wrong side of, of, or in in his thirties. I think is he, is he 35 yet? I know we're like right around the same age. Yeah. Um, I I know. I don't want to talk about it. So, but he's, he's in that kind of no man's land where if you're not a vested veteran at this age and you have command over not only your team, but your offense in general, your, your the front office in general. I mean, you think about these quarterbacks that have been with their teams forever, that have, of which are a dying breed. We're not seeing quarterbacks last that long um, with a few exceptions. I just, I don't see there being much of a market. And especially with, I think the standard that Russell Wilson holds himself to as far as how much money he commands. I mean, he's had back-to-back big contracts and you're just like, how is he going to feel about taking a hit even though that is what his play commands at this stage? 
And I also think that this whole dynamic between him and the Broncos, that's that's the risk you run when you sign these giant contracts. That's that's the expectations that come with it. That's that's the downside, I guess, if there is one to getting that much money is these expectations fair or not are placed on you. And he did not perform. He did not rise up, elevate anyone around him. I know that he was with a couple different coaches, but I just I think that he hasn't shown that he can grow within a new system or adapt, I think, to a new system, which is the key in there being a market for him. Yeah, I I think it's so hard for me to imagine him as a backup or wanting right. to be back up. Right. But then when you think about teams that that'll be in the market for starters like a New England and Atlanta I think the fan bases probably wouldn't be too thrilled. Um again, but at the devils in the details if you are willing to take a Baker style deal somewhere, that's a different right. story, I think. So we'll see what happens there. It is a pretty wild conclusion to uh you know uh what has obviously been a very disappointing two years for Denver, even though I don't think he was as disappointing this year as people who don't watch, who haven't watched the, you know, all Broncos games probably believe. And then we'll see what's next with uh, that team and Sean Payton. I, th- again, I cannot stress enough how crazy the draft positioning right now is with all these teams. Those last couple of weeks mm-hmm. will matter a lot. Um, and, uh, and of course on this pod, we'll get into the draft and all the various quarterbacks who are available in the coming months. All right. That's enough of, uh, <laughs> of, of Broncos talk for now. Let's get to the games. Uh, I want to start with lions Cowboys. Mm, um, okay. so we should start by the lions won the division. Very exciting, but they First still, let, let's start here. Like I want, I actually want to ask you about this. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> how much does this game matter to them? Because they did win the division. However, um, seeding is still up for grabs. Right. I think, you know, the second seed is meaningful. I would say, especially for Detroit, my dog just walked in, uh, yes. not necessarily because of opponent. I'm not, we're, we don't know how that's going to shake out, obviously, but because of home field. And I think home right. field matters a lot for this team. So with that in mind, do you, you like, how much does this game, the final two games of the season matter? It matters a ton, not just for seeding purposes, but to kind of go into the postseason with the momentum that they need. But you saw Jared Goff after they clinched. Hi, Lenny. Sorry. You saw Jared Goff after they clinched, and he was emotional because he went through 3-13. and 13. There's some guys on this team that have gone through 3-13. and 13. And to now win the first division title in 30 years, the first time they've ever won the NFC North because 30 years ago it was the NFC Central, this, is, this means so much to the city, and the guys know that. And that permeates throughout the locker room. Dan Campbell knows that. That's why Dan Campbell's such a wonderful coach for this team because he doesn't shy away from like carrying the city on his back. Detroit is a football town. And even though the Lions haven't been good for, for a very long time, this city is just incredible. And they want to be able to give that back to the fans. And so having home field not only gives them an advantage because Detroit is a dome, it gets very, very loud in there as someone that's been in there for some of these games. And but it also means that their fans get to see it at, in their hometown and they don't have to travel and they've been traveling well as well. So I think it, they have everything to play for still. They are not taking their foot off the gas. They're getting healthier by the week too, which I think makes a lot of a difference in getting these guys acclimated. So by the time the postseason rolls around, they have momentum. They have guys that have been in the lineup and they've been playing with, and have some continuity going into that first round. 
Yeah. And Dan Campbell's not a guy who's going to say, eh, doesn't matter. Let's no. bench you. Let's see you. You know, he, he, this is the man that played. This is the team that played out of spite and beat the Green Bay Packers in week 18 just to maybe, keep them out of the playoffs. Maybe my favorite game, but obviously as a Seahawks fan, it got Seattle into the playoffs, which is amazing, but just an amazing game for, yeah, this is just, and I actually, I really think that game mattered going into the season. Mm-hmm. Like it was just to end on that note, the way they did uh, just mm-hmm. culture. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's so happy Reliance fans to be here. But as far as this week goes, this game, it's not in Detroit. It's in Dallas, and we have seen that that makes a very big difference um, yes. as it pertains to Dallas. Dallas Cowboys. Yes. Yeah. So I think that I, – I actually think probably Dallas, if they were in Detroit, it, they would still be fine uh, mm-hmm. offensively. But at home, we've just seen this time and time again when they – when Dak Prescott – uh, is operating the offense at home in you know in AT&T Stadium yeah. and he's able to have utter control at the line of scrimmage they are very difficult to stop uh they especially in the first halves I, I uh I looked this up I don't have it in front of me but Dan and I were talking about how good they are at home and in first halves when they're at home they are they, they lead the league in all metrics by a great margin um I don't see that stopping against a Lions defense that uh, is, well, sus. Concerning. Yeah, that just got carved up, but, you know, made plays against Nick Mullins, but also gave up some pretty alarming uh, explosives to Nick Mullins. Explosive plays, right. Yeah, it's... um, I guess that's what I I, I wanted to start because, you know, I've talked about the Dallas offense a lot, and I Mm -hmm. think that this is a favorable matchup for them. As a Detroit fan, you clinched a division. That's great. You might be getting some players back. Maybe, I don't know what the status is of CJ Gardner Johnson. You don't know yet. Uh, yeah. Alain McNeil at some point. Lynn but yeah. not for this game. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, 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 like, how do you, how can, what's your concern level watching this defense over the last few weeks? And then as we've been talking about, you know, facing off against a Cowboys offense that is incredibly potent at home. Yeah, you mentioned that they gave up all of the explosive plays against Nick Mullins and the Minnesota Vikings, but they get, they did get four interceptions. And I feel like it's kind of a confidence boost as far as that secondary goes. I've talked a lot this season about how that secondary is one injury away from absolute catastrophe. They have absolutely no depth for a while, for like three, four game stretch. Some of those, the corners, the starting corner, two corners and the starting two safeties played at or almost at every single defensive snap, there was absolutely no rotation at those positions. And so you saw the productivity of the defense taper off towards the end of games because of the fact these guys were just flat out tired. And then the pass rush wasn't really helping them out because people have kind of figured out as, as, as versatile as Aiden Hutchinson is, he's kind of the only one you need to be concerned about, especially with Ali McNeil out. I've talked a lot about how Ali McNeil is one of the more, more underrated defensive tackles yeah. in the league, and his absence has been felt up front for sure. And like, he was a way for Aiden Hutchinson to get some more favorable matchups on the outside because he was commanding so much space and so much attention on the inside. But that being said, they've gotten started to get a little bit more creative. Their linebackers, Alex Anzalone has been in the backfield more than he hasn't, I swear, uh, this season. And he's, again, kind of one of those underappreciated guys on that on the defense. Jack Campbell has been everything that they want him to be, though he's not 
gaudy in the stats column. I mean, he's a sideline to sideline kind of off ball linebacker guy that is, is going to be there for the foreseeable future. So they have really good pieces. It's just about a matter of them playing complementary football within the defensive structure. And that's just what we haven't seen because of these explosive plays. And to their credit, they keep coming back for more. I don't know if CJ Gardner Johnson is going to end up playing this week. Uh, it, it's a possibility Dan Campbell wouldn't rule it out, but they do have Jerry Jacobs uh, uh, practicing fully uh, in that defensive secondary. They're, so they can kind of afford a little bit of a cornerback rotation. I haven't even mentioned Brian Branch yet, who has been wonderful as a rookie. But um, I mean, you're, you're going to probably see the, th- the thing about it is that Detroit's strengths, if you can call them that on this in the defensive secondary, especially is in the middle of the field. And that's somewhere where the, the Dallas Cowboys haven't really been attacking the, the last few games, even though that's their strength. I think CeeDee Lamb has been lighting up in the slot 56% mm-hmm. of the time this season so far. And that's where, but th- that is kind of a good matchup to me. And I think the way to beat the Lions is on the corners. And I, you need to get stuff out of Brandon Cooks for that. You need to get stuff out of Michael Gallup for that if you're the Dallas Cowboys. And I, so I really think that that's going to be a very interesting matchup to watch in this game is if the D- if Dallas Cowboys try to force the issue over the middle and if that gets kind of caught up in that because Brian Branch is there or Kirby Joseph, who are very anticipatory. Or line up CD outside. I mean, they're having or line up CD where, outside. Yeah, they have um, had him play the role more of the X receiver, and that might be something that they go to in this one, given the talent mm-hmm. advantage. To your point, yeah, it, it's a, it's a tough it's a tough ask for these <laughs> Detroit corners. I think it, yeah. it, it, up front, you know. So uh, I, I talked earlier this week about Dallas's loss to Miami, more focusing on Miami, but. You know, not having Tyron Smith at left tackle was a massive, massive factor in that game. We'll see if he plays this week. Uh, Yeah, he didn't practice today. So that is something. Well, on the other side, uh, neither did Taylor Decker. So that (laughs) neither did Taylor Decker. Okay, so that I actually find the other side maybe more interesting because, on one hand, I think uh, the Lions have certain things working in their favor. Mm -hmm. Um, One of those things is that they have a very, very good run game. And of course we have seen over the last couple of weeks that that is an area where Dallas is vulnerable. Um, Mm -hmm. They're vulnerable in quite a few ways, but you saw this on display a little bit against Miami. If you've seen it, uh, you saw it to James Cook Uh, on runs outside and off tackle they're allowing the second most yards per attempt in the NFL, 5.2 yards per attempt. Guess which running back has the most yards per attempt on those types of runs? Jameer Gibbs, who uh, Jameer is Gibbs. averaging, yeah, more than any other running back in football right now. So, like, yeah. you look at that matchup and you think, okay, this is I, – I could definitely see um, Detroit running the ball on Dallas the way we've seen teams do all season, but especially in recent weeks. I think where I would be concerned, Carmen – is if they fall behind because the Dallas right. offense is so good. And suddenly Jared Scoff is back there forced to throw. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't have Taylor Decker, the Dallas pass rush tees off. If you get into those yep. situations, you start to get much more worried about the lions offense. Well, we've seen kind of a Jekyll and Hyde out of Jared Goff when he's protected and when he's not. And that's not something exclusive to his time in Detroit. That's who he is as a player. If you can get to him behind what should be a brick wall of an offensive line, then you can throw him off rhythm. And especially if he's behind and he's trying to throw for his life, 
Jared Goff is like one of the last few statues left in the league. He's not really super mobile. He's not going to really get out of pressure and move around the pocket as much. You need to give him a little bit of time. But at the same time, he's got this run game to lean on. And when you don't have Jameer Gibbs bouncing at the outside, you have David Montgomery powering his way through the interior and an offensive line that is very well equipped to open up those interior gaps, which is kind of how they're so effective in this run game and how Ben Johnson is able to be so multiple in what he calls is because you can run any type of run scheme with this offense and make sure that Jared Goff has something reliable to lean back on, even if he's not playing well. Something I also discovered though, as I was doing my prep for this, I didn't realize Sam Laporta, their rookie tight end has 101 targets this year. 101. I am like beside myself about how much he is being utilized and how much responsibility is on the shoulders of this six foot three tight end. (laughs) It was in his first year. So that's another thing too, that it's another layer to this offense that makes them really hard to contend with because you've got so much to deal with in the backfield And then you have Jared Goff who can go over top to Amon Ross St. Brown or Khalif Raymond even. But then you also have Sam Laporta occupying kind of the intermediate area and making those contested catches. He plays so much bigger than he actually is because he's actually kind of undersized for a tight end. Yeah. And he's a really crisp route runner. And just he's just so he can get himself open and create separation unlike anyone that I've seen, especially in their first year as a tight end. And I just, I talked to Rob Gronkowski about him actually. <laughs> and I was like, what do you make of this kid? And I mean, Gronk was way, was, was effusive with his praise and in, in Sam Laporta. And he's like, yeah, he's going to have way more yards and way more catches than I did in my rookie year, but he's not going to have more touchdowns. Sam Laporte is knocking on the door of Rob Gronkowski's rookie touchdown uh, season of 10 touchdowns. Uh, I believe Sam Laporta has nine. So one more. Well, the, and uh, he's, yeah. he's coming for it, Rob. So it's, I can't stress enough how if this offense is allowed to get going, how hard they are to stop. Dallas uh, defense, very good on the outside. Uh, 26 in DVOA versus tight ends. So that could be an area where yeah. uh, they're able to attack. Yeah. I, I keep going back to this like concept of like just game script and whether the lions can avoid letting the game get away from them because when everything's on the table with the run game, the run action, what they're able to do with play action, I think they can move the ball on Dallas, but like, as we've been talking about it, it, it's if they fall behind where I start to get worried about golf under pressure, decision-making. And, you know, I thought he was, I, t- I talked about this um, earlier this week. I thought he played reasonably well against obviously a very tricky Brian Flores defense. Yes. Um, but, you know, it, it's just, it, it's going to be a matter of like, Oh God, like the, the Lions offensive line is good and they're really good when they're healthy. But if right. we're talking about like, the Cowboys NASCAR package, you know, where they're able to get all those passes. I, I, you start to get worried about the quarterback, even though he has done a pretty good job also of getting rid of the ball quickly. Um, right. So I think that's it with this one. You know, I, 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 I it's at home. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you need your defense to get a takeaway or make a big play or just get yeah. you a couple of three and outs 
early, like you, you know, it, it, the nightmare situation for Detroit or the situation where I think things get, start to get a little bit hairy is if they fall behind early yeah. to this Cowboys defense offense party, as so many teams do. Right. I'm picking right. Dallas because of that, because they're at home, Carmen. If it was in Detroit, I might pick Detroit. I probably would pick Detroit. Lions fans, yeah. so don't be mad at me. Um, that yeah. Can I can I defer can I defer my my pick for this game based on whether or not Tyron Smith plays? Yeah, because I really do think that that's going to be that the deciding factor is if if he if he plays because Zach Martin's still dealing with that thigh contusion, I think it is. And, and I mean, if you can get to Dak, I mean, Dak's a little more elusive, but he's not without, uh, he he, He, he can be rattled. He was getting really hurried from the left side, uh, with Tyron Smith's absence last weekend. It it was a big part of uh, the offensive struggles that they had at times in that game. So I think that's fair. Um, I love putting off my picks for injuries. It's (laughs) amazing. Okay, Ravens Dolphins in Baltimore. Ooh. Uh two teams coming off of very big wins. Uh so I think I don't think the Dolphins have to beat fraud allegations anymore after they beat the Cowboys. I think they're good. However, if they were to lose the way San Francisco did to Baltimore, I'm sure that the people would come roaring back with the criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm. I love this game. From a coaching perspective, I think it's fascinating. These are two teams who both Baltimore currently has one seed. Miami is right behind them. This is a very significant game. Also, Miami for the division with Buffalo breathing down their neck. This game matters a lot. So, um, yeah. So, uh, injuries are a factor here. I just saw the Ravens injury report. A bunch of guys didn't practice. Kyle Hamilton still with the knee. Uh, Mm -hmm. Zay Flowers. But I think... No one is for sure out that I know of. That's you know, that's kind of something you're gonna have to wait to see to the end. Um, let's start with the uh, Ravens defense, which has mm-hmm. put on one of the best performances of the entire season against a Miami offense that we know is extremely capable of lighting teams up. Um, what we have seen so much with this Miami offense is the, the way to stop them. The only way you can stop them, stop, bleh, stop them is to disrupt the timing of the pass game. Mm-hmm. Essentially when Tua is operating within structure of the offense and that ball is coming out in less than two and a half seconds, they're almost impossible to stop. It's when he has to, you know, the, and I'm not calling him a, what I, I, I feel like when you say this, sometimes fans get defensive and they're like, you're saying he's a one-week quarterback. No, I'm not. I'm saying when you when the offense is operating on that way where the first read comes open because of his the speed with which he throws, the anticipation, whatever, they're unbelievable. The right. quickness with which guys get down the field, all of that. Yes. So naturally, if you can screw with that in some ways, you have a better chance. Do you think Baltimore can screw with it? Do you think we'll see a similar approach to what we saw against San Francisco? Do you think we'll see something different? Of course, one of the more brilliant play callers in the sport in Mike McDonald. McDonald. Against it's it's the Mike 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 versus Mike Bowl. <laughs> who is him? We shall see. Uh, who is him? Who is who is Mike him? Uh, I really so Mike McDonald also strikes me as the type of guy, and this is something I learned that coaches do during my time with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, they will set up the team that they are playing next with the team they are currently Uh. playing. So, which I think is very interesting in this matchup in particular, because 
the Ravens are coming off of the win over the 49ers, which is in the same tree as Mike McDaniel. That's Mike McDaniel comes from the Shanahan tree. And it's not a secret that the Ravens played a lot of zone and they do play a lot of zone defense, especially against, and it was, it worked against the 49ers, but I don't think it's as simple as saying, okay, well, the Dolphins kind of operate the same way. Mike McDaniel is a very similar play caller, I guess, to Kyle Shanahan. He comes from that tree. Let's just play him zone and, let, and let's let's attack them in the kind of same way. I don't think that that's the case because I think Mike McDonald is much smarter than that. And we've seen he's much smarter than that. So I think that there are things that they did against San Francisco for the benefit of going against the Dolphins the next week saying, we're going to show you this look and we're going to do this out of this look. And then when we play you, we're going to run that same look, but we're going to do something completely different. And that is something that coaches who are really intricate play callers, they try to play that chess versus checkers kind of thing. They do this. They they will take five to 10 plays in a game and, and do use it to set up the next opponent and put something on tape that is meant to fool them. And I think that that's going to be the case here. So I think it's going to be very interesting to watch how the Ravens defense plays the Dolphins offense and see the similarities with how they attacked San Francisco, but also to see the differences. And especially if you can identify kind of what looks they were running out of and if they were doing something differently or if they end up doing something differently against the Dolphins, I would be scared if I was (laughs) Daniel at this point, like I would be in my head, not maybe not scared. I would be in my head though. I I love that point uh, because we always think about, offensive play callers putting things on tape to try to um, deceive future opponents with terms of their right. tendencies. But, you know, a defense like Baltimore that shows so much in terms of their pressures in particular um, and gives quarterbacks so much to think about and then, you know, changing the picture on them post-snap in the way they do, then doing it the next game in a totally different fashion. Like, let's say, you know, in, in this game, you have Roquan and Patrick Smith lined up on the same side and suddenly drop into the coverage. What in the next game? What if they come, you know, versus this right. look, right? Um, I think it, it, it's interesting. It's tricky for Tua. It's tricky for this offensive line, which obviously is is, is pretty injured and has – the Dolphins have the closest thing in the NFL to an offensive line-proof offense that maybe exists, but the, it's still it, – it becomes a problem if the quarterback has to throw, hold onto the ball for more than two and a half seconds, which Tua, yes. you know, like, rarely does. But Rare, I was going to say, he gets his yeah. ball out quicker than, I well, think, anyone, right? His time to throw is quicker than anyone in the league oh, right yeah. now? It's definitely the quickest in the league. And whether he has – is going to need that time and whether those pressures can matriculate and, and take advantage mm-hmm. of, you know, the offensive line confusion, to me, is a function of whether or not those windows will be there that he throws into. Um, You know, he is like this offense. It is all about creating those windows and to uh, delivering the ball into the windows before the offense defense has any chance to stop him. And because his uh, skill barriers are faster than uh, everybody, they're able to get there to those windows quicker. I think so for Baltimore. Yeah. It's, it's a matter of like, okay, well, if we have, um, unexpected players dropping into coverage versus, you know, certain RPO looks that they use. How, what can we do to basically cloud those spaces that Tua and the Dolphins thrive in? I I think that it's, I, 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 I'm not hundred percent sure how this is going to play out. I, I think Baltimore is probably better suited to do it than any defense in the NFL right now. Probably. 
which is, yeah, fascinating because I think um, I saw this great chart that Arjun Menon posted that was like uh, predictable coverages, unpredictable coverages, teams that mix things up, and then how good they were. And you had the Browns all the way at the top on one side with the predictable coverages, but just incredible execution. Effective, and then yeah. you had the Ravens on the other side, right? The Browns play a ton of man. Their guys are physical. They will, they, they, they'll just, and then they win with the four man rush, whereas the Ravens are, you know, they're physical too, but they don't play much right. man. And it's all about the confusion that they create. I kind of I think, think that be- approach is probably better against this Dolphins offense. Yes. You think so yes. too? So I, 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 I don't know yeah. who's going to win. Though. Give them the way that I feel like slow down the Miami offense is to give them more to think about and give to a more to read and try and change things up as much as possible post snap. Or I'm going to be very interested too to see, I mean, Marlon Humphrey played in the slot against the 49ers. I'm be very interested to see if he stays there or if he goes outside and you put, if this was, if he's healthy, Kyle Hamilton, I mean, you're all, you're all AAPI uh, uh, do it all safety. I love Kyle Hamilton. I've loved him ever since he came out of Notre Dame. I was just like, he was such a fun player to me. What a game. Um, And he's, I I think he's going to be a really crucial piece to what the Ravens want to do against this offense, the the Dolphins offense. I just don't, I hope he's healthy enough to do it. And I think Marlon Humphrey is going to be the key too. to, are they going to move him around? Is he going to stay outside, inside? Give Tua as much to think about as you possibly can, because I think that's the way to slow this yeah. offense down as much and then as possible when, when they do run it. And I think they will, especially, you know, given all of the quarters that the Ravens play, um, the Dolphins run game is very horizontal. Can the corners, you saw this with Humphrey in the Niners game, who was so physical and tackled so well, can they limit mm-hmm. the explosiveness of the Dolphins run game on the ground? I think they can. I think they're better suited to stop that sort of run game than like the um, what we saw from the Rams who just were slamming duo into them (laughs) on that one drive. Uh, So we'll see. Other side of the ball, um, the Dolphins defense isn't playing really well. The Cowboys game was extremely impressive. Yeah. But how do you stop this version of Lamar? Can you? I don't feel qualified to talk about the Ravens offense because I don't think anybody's qualified to talk about the Ravens offense. They're so talk about multiple. They're a chameleon. They can run a power run offense if they need to against you because that's the better matchup, but they can just as easily spread it out. And Lamar is just, he's one of one. And, you know, for all of the conversation that's been going on about Lamar and and teams not being interested in him and all that other stuff, Part of me doesn't want to believe it because I'm like, how can you not see this this player, how valuable this player is? He's already won an MVP and he's playing better ball than he was when he won it, when he won the award, which is just, it's mind boggling to me because with him, you can be so fluid and so flexible as an offense and how you combat that as a defense is just, it's I don't know how to do that. I don't know. I can't, I, I can't really, I don't think anybody can really figure it out. It's just a matter of slowing it down. I mean, the Ravens have, I know the Dolphins They're. I also can't really figure out their defense <laughs> because I'm telling it myself because it's, they, it's comp- they do a lot. They do a lot. But man, like they have a top five, they have the best pressure percentage in the league right now. Highest QB knockdown rate but they blitz at the fifth lowest rate in the league. 
I'm like, the way that they're able to get pressure with four allows them to do so much more on the back end. And the wild part is the Dolphins defense isn't even firing on like all cylinders or the way it should be because they're top 10 in missed tackles. So somehow, and and, but somehow they still have the fewest yards, one of the fewest yards after the catch allowed. So I'm like, how do you not make the tackle? But then you also don't allow yards after the catch. It's, it's, it's mind numbing. Cause I'm just, I, none of the stats, all the stats contradict each other. And so that's when, I, you know, you turn on. Okay, so. Yeah, no, listening to you talk about that. I actually think there's kind of similarities between both those units. Cause they're the, yeah. the Ravens offense and the Dolphins defense both underwent dramatic philosophical changes in terms of the right. coaching this off season. So naturally both would start peaking as the season went on. And I think we've seen that to be the case. I've talked about it with mm-hmm. the Dolphins defense, which is a big Fangio defense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they don't blitz a lot, a lot of light boxes. They play a lot of zone. And then um, with Baltimore, it, it has felt at times like, okay, they're kind of still figuring out what their identity is. You know, they were they, obviously they use way more 11 personnel this year than they did in the past. But in terms of like, the way that they run the football, the way the runs and the passes integrate all of it. Um, I kind of feel like it's only now beginning to peak, even without Mark Andrews. I think what makes this Ravens offense really difficult to stop right now is it's a dominant run game. And I think that's going to be challenge for Miami, which has been able to defend the run with light boxes, but the Ravens are not your typical rushing team. Uh, highest success rate in the NFL running into light boxes tied with San Francisco unsurprisingly. However, what makes this Ravens offense different from, I think past iterations is they make you defend the whole field. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in the past Mm -hmm. there's not, it's not been a blueprint to say, take away the middle of the field against Lamar and make him throw outside the numbers. But you know, there have been games where that has worked. I don't believe that's the case anymore. And I looked this up Mm -hmm. because I was, it, it felt right, but I wanted to check. So uh, on throws, intermediate throws outside the numbers, Lamar Jackson has been the best quarterback in football this year, completing 70% of his passes, 12.5 yards per attempt, QBR of 98. Um, that to me captures the challenge of facing this team because they are different because of the wide receivers from mm-hmm. what we've seen in past Ravens offenses. And the fact that, like you said, they no longer have Mark Andrews and they, they can't really rely on him for those intermediate routes either. And so it's it's now the onus is now on receivers, one of which is an aging Odell Beckham, who is flourishing in a lot of ways. And it's for this trending up. Right. Like in the, over the past few weeks, he's really kind of stepped into taking over some of that target share because of the fact that, I mean, Mark Andrews was, it was no secret. He was Lamar Jackson's favorite target in a lot of ways. So the way that the offense though has been able to adapt and the way Lamar specifically has been able to adapt to the personnel that they have available while being able to be so multiple, like we were talking about before, it just, it creates so much for the defense to have to think about. And you talk, that's why I think I love this game too so much because it's, it's a nerd game. It's a game just of of football nerds that are going against each other that are do, that can do so much fun stuff and so much and, and be so versatile across on, on both sides of the ball for both of these teams that trying to see how each team is going to defend it I think is is a football nerd's dream. That's why I'm I'm very excited for this game. One final thought on Miami. I I, I would blitz Lamar. 
maybe famous last words, yeah. but he has been up and down against the Blitz this year, as good as he's been. He mm-hmm. might punish them a few times, but I would probably, I would play the variance game a little bit and up that blitz rate and see how he handles it. Um, I, you know, he's just so his his pressure field for this year has been so unbelievable. But I, I do think Miami has uh, guys uh, outside of that front four who can who can bring heat in a way that'll surprise him. So I would do that. Um, I hope they get Javon Holland back because he's he's one of those guys that will come downhill and he'll hit you and he enjoys doing it. So I wonder if if they can get him back, that'll allow for some pretty creative, I think, blitz packages on on behalf of the Dolphins. That's a great point. And this is one where I think you can you can do a cop out with the injuries if you want. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. not doing it because they don't have him. If everybody's healthy, I'm I'm leaning Baltimore. It might be a little bit of recency bias seeing what that defense mm-hmm. did to San Francisco, but and it's in Baltimore, you know. Yeah. But it's 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 gonna be tricky. You can pick if you mm-hmm. want, but you don't have to. You can you can uh, I mean, No, I I my my gut is still telling me. Even though I picked, I picked the Dolphins to go to the Super Bowl at the beginning of the season, and like anything go. more than I want to be right more than anything else. Um, but I do think the Ravens are I, I just they're they're riding a high right now, and I think that being at home and just again all of the fun things that Lamar, the challenges Lamar presents, I want that for him too. I want him to do well, so I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go the Ravens too. All right, let's take a quick break. Come back and. Uh... Let's hit your bucks next. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, it's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Saints Bucks. For the division, probably. Uh, Carmen, you used to cover the, you used to work for the Bucks. You know this team really well. I want to start there sure because I talked about them a couple weeks ago. What, well, I guess I talked about them this last week, too. A lot of Bucks talk lately. <laughs> what has it been like watching this season? Because I, I, 
I didn't have high expectations for the team. I don't think many people did coming into the season. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. you know, I thought it would be a transitional year. I thought the roster was too good to be bad, but I thought because of the quarterback situation, they weren't going to be um, a playoff team. They appear to be the best team in the division to me. Does that surprise you? I mean, what what is your general feeling? No, because I mean, the division is awful. So, I mean, it's not like the Bucs have this like overwhelming record, but that being said, I, you kind of knew going into this season that there were so many question marks across the NFC South and that it wasn't going to take much to win this division. And I had, and it was probably biased on my part because I do have so many guys that I still know uh, on that coaching staff, guys in that locker room that were always so good to me that I want, I want the best for them. So I think it was probably, there was some, there's obviously some bias there. Um, especially because I don't cover them anymore. I'm kind of unabashedly now a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. So it's, it's fun to, it's fun to have that fan mentality in a little, in a lot of ways, but they, it was all going to depend on how, what Dave Canales, their offensive, their new offensive coordinator could make of Baker Mayfield. And so far what we've seen is there's been some inconsistency, but Baker's not this, he's, he's playing smart. He's playing smarter. And he's trusting his receivers. I think that's what strikes me the most when I watch this team now is how much Baker trusts Mike Evans, how much he trusts Chris Godwin, even guys like Kate Otten, they're, they're tight end. And now that their run game has come on a little bit, I'm like, Hey, we have kind of a more well-rounded offense. That That was something that was missing during the Bruce Arians years. I mean, that, that offense, even with Tom Brady was, a downfield pass pass and then pass again (laughs) there was no uh there was no run game to speak of and now that that's kind of come on i mean this is why they brought dave canales in i've talked to todd bowles about dave and they brought him in because he's a smart guy and he can teach really well he's a really good teacher and so again this is one of those things where you when you undergo a complete philosophy change it takes a little while and it just so happened that the Bucks were good enough to stay afloat before now kind of having some upward momentum right. as it matters. And in a division where they need, didn't need to stack up didn't, a ton of wins. Uh, yeah, you know, okay, let's start with the offense and then how they match up with the Saints defense. It obviously still has a fair amount of talent. Yeah. I think what strikes me watching this Bucks offense is um, – Sometimes when you watch teams in the NFL, you're like, what do you do well? What, what, do you, what do you like? Do you have any like, you know, stars? Do you have any like I- an identity? And I think what I like about the, watching the Bucks right now is uh, they do have. There are things that they are better at than most teams. Like there are, you know, mm-hmm. obviously we knew the wide receivers were good. Although Mike Evans is like maybe underrated at this point in his career. Um, but yep. That connection with Baker Mayfield has really blossomed into something that I I think is actually uh, fearsome for a team like the Saints, especially without Martian Lattimore, who's, of course, been a fun prison to match with Mike Evans over the years. Um, Mm. Mike Evans. So so Baker has been the seventh best quarterback in football versus man coverage a little bit below average versus zone, despite the fact that you'd think that game against Joe Barry's defense would have uh, bolstered that to top five, but it, he's been amazing against man. <laughs> and that's really a Mike Evans stat. Uh, Mike Evans has been uh, 11th in yards per route run target share against man coverage, seven touchdowns tied for the most in the NFL with AJ Brown and Tyreek Our ESPN wide receiver metrics uh, really like him this year, his ability to get open, 
Uh, again, mm-hmm. that's sort of against man coverage. It really stands out. And to your point, I think Baker Baker um, sort of finally, not finally, but um, honing that connection with him downfield versus, especially when he has him one-on-one, is yeah. tremendous in this offense. The other thing I love is Rashad White. The run game is, it's okay. It's not horrible, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. But as right. a pass catching back, who, mm-hmm. buddy. They have really landed on something with him there. And I think both of th- those two things give defenses a lot to think about. Well, that's why they brought Rashad White in, because that was something he was asked to do at Arizona State, which was that that was that made a huge difference into, you know, taking him, I believe, in the third round um, and what they wanted him to to bring to this offense, because they haven't they still have not had much of a run game to speak of, but it's just better than it has been, which was the bar was on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that is allowed, you know, Baker to kind of get more comfortable with the play action and, and to move to bring out that aspect of this offense to the point where it buys him a little bit more time because Mike, for as good of a receiver as he is, he's not the fastest. So he needs time to get down the field and, and you can buy him that time without stressing your offensive line, which was just put together this year as well. Uh, by by utilizing that a little bit more play action, which I think we've seen now that they trust their run game a little bit more, at least in the sense that the ball could be going to the back because it could be being caught out of the backfield by Rashad White. And he's got really good hands. He can run routes. Um, yeah. And they're figuring out how to use him, which I really appreciate being an Arizona State alum myself. I, I, I tell those guys all the time. I'm like, yeah, I went to Arizona State undergrad. And then I claimed Northwestern because I went there for grad school. I balanced out my education. Uh, but I, I, I keep I, I've been like pushing Rashad White on the coaches there, like texting them all the time. Like, where, where's my guy? Why aren't you using my guy? I need my guy. I need like whatever. Second in EPA per play uh, amongst running backs catching passes this year it's above McCaffrey behind uh, only James Cook. Pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, um, and then I, I do want to get bigger because I know I just kind of made that about Mike Evans, Rashad White. Baker has been accurate, aggressive, attacking. He appears to have confidence in the structure of the offense. Right. I, you know, I don't think he's a perfect quarterback. I think there's been ups and downs this season. I think he'll throw interceptions at times. But this is really the best you could have hoped for, frankly, especially given his contract value, kind of what we were talking about at the beginning. And in this game, they go up against the same. You know, I talked about how good they were against man. The Saints defense plays a ton of man coverage. They're down Marshawn Lattimore. They can't really rush the passer. I I, I like the Bucs offense in this matchup. Um, It's just, you know, the Saints defense is kind of up against it. And then on the other side of the ball, I like the Bucs defense too. Maybe maybe I'll be wrong, but... um, the Derek Carr story this year is a pretty simple one. If you pressure him, that offense is pretty non-functional. And, yeah. and some of that's on him, but a lot of it, the Saints offensive line has simply not been protecting him. So actually, here, here I pull the numbers. Derek Carr, uh, when he's kept clean, has actually been 12th in QBR. When pressured, his QBR drops from 68 to 10 which is 25th and the <laughs> offensive line, unfortunately has just not kept him clean. It right. dramatically affects his play Carmen. And I think um, if there's hope for saints fans, I guess, given the contract and, and the fact that he's likely going to be the quarterback next year, I, we'll see. Uh, I have a life to look at the contract, but I guess the idea is that with better protection, he can still throw it. I mean, like every now yeah. and then when he throws the ball deep, you're like, oh my God, like you still have a really good arm. But the problem is he's just not 
trusting uh, his protection and sometimes for good reason. And I also don't think that he has that locker room. I don't know that he has the confidence, the guys have confidence in him. Uh, Everything that I've heard coming out of there is that it's not, he's not rallying the troops and this is kind of the guy he's been. This is who he was in for the Raiders as well. I've talked to guys that have been in that locker room with him and played with him and that have just said, listen, he's not the guy that when things are going wrong, he's going to rally around and, and start yelling and, and making guy and getting guys amped up. He's the one that's going to be in the corner kind of sulking and, and not really participating and kind of checking out. And I mean, that's, that's fine when, you know, that people deal with adversity differently. And I get that, but as a quarterback, you, you want to have the guy that's going to be, have the confidence of the locker room. And then if he, if he talks, people are going to listen. And so far I've just not heard that that's something that Derek Carr is and it, and hasn't been even when he was with the Raiders, which is why I think, which what, what played into them being willing to let him go. Um, I, I, that, that plays a lot into this for me. And I do think that the Bucks defense is very uniquely qualified to get pressure up the middle with guys like Vita Vea. I mean, Logan Hall has come on in his second season and then you have Kalijah Cansey, who's their newcomer. Uh-huh. And that Not rotation on the interior is just, I mean, they're manhandling guys. And it makes it so much easier for these edge guys. I, Joe Tryon Shoinka has not come on as much as I was hoping or anticipating. Uh, Shaquille Barrett is still a solid pass rusher. Uh, he has not, he, I think he surprised a few people a few years ago when he led the league in sacks. But since then, people have, you know, know who he is and they know how to game plan for him. He's not that hard to figure out. Uh, it's just that defensive interior, man. I just, I, that's going to be a, a tough battle for the saints who I believe are a little bit injured too on the offensive, on the offensive line, the offensive interior as well. So that's going to be, I'm taking the bucks every day and twice on Sundays. <laughs> yeah. I, if, if they had time, I think the saints skill players can definitely win downfield. Uh, Shahid, a lot yeah. those guys, um, I think are, I think she's healthy, but, um, I just question whether they'll have time in this. It's, I gotta, before, I, I do wanna say, like, it has to be such a frustrating season for Saints fans because, it, you know, I talked about this with the Falcons and the division being so winnable. And if they win this game, it, you know, it's obviously still in play. But watching Carr this year, and I just looked at his contract, they can get out of it. It would be, I mean, to our point, what's money, anyways? You know, what, what, what is, what is it? What's it? <laughs> uh, and maybe they should, but you know, the cap wise, obviously they're, they're in hell as they always are. Um, always. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think what's, it's so, it's a frustrating operation because you have good players outside of, you know, it, like the receivers are good. Camara, they're not running the ball well, but. He, when you see him move in space, he's still talented. He's still a good pass catcher. Mm-hmm. And then Carr, like he can throw it downfield. I, when I, I grabbed this out of curiosity. On deep balls, he's seventh in EPA per play. Then to intermediate, it falls to 13th. And then on short passes, it falls to 21st. Some of that is players some of it is him i think checking it down some of it is the Mm -hmm. design of the offense there's a lot that goes into that but when you watch an offense that does you know off like 
probably lean on short passes at moments that tend to infuriate fans more than most. It's, it's just like a frustrating experience knowing that they could be capable of so it feels like they could be capable of so much more given the talent on that roster. So yeah. It's yeah. Tough and then plus these two teams are so familiar with e- with each other. And I just feel like that's who the saints have been or, you know, since they've been, since Derek Carr has gotten there, but also, I mean, Think about who they were under Drew Brees and how that like that was it was dink and dunk down the field and the Bucks have figured out how to kind of combat that right. uh, in recent memory more often than not. I just I, you, you still I, I can't let this go without talking about Levante David and what he's still yeah. been able to do as a 31 year old or th- yeah 31 32. 32 no, wait, 30, 32, 32. I was say, he's only he's a year younger than me so wait a second oh god I have didn't you ever seen that um it's like a meme on twitter that's like uh sportscasters talking about like a football player in the early 30s yes. oh my god it's a miracle that he's still <laughs> out there a medical oh. miracle the 32 year old oldest player in the league he's makes still his... so good i every he's time i watch so the bucks i am stunned by and it's not some of it is his obviously like he's, he's seen everything and he's very good at reading right. quarterbacks and reading the run end and keying in on things but also like he still flies around out there he's a good player so i think a lot of that too is just because he's so anticipatory so yeah. he starts to move and it's it gets him in trouble sometimes too i'm not going to say that you know he'll sell something and uh or he'll 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 sell himself on it i should say they'll the, the other team will sell something and he will commit to it uh, maybe before he should have, and therefore he can be wrong sometimes. But more often than not, given his experience, given what he's seen, especially with a team that he's this familiar with, he's he's right in what he what he thinks and the decisions he makes. And it allows him to get to places faster. It allows him to be on the outside and to kind of seal that edge a lot more, especially when you have a guy like Alvin Kamara. I mean, that's yeah. been some of the most fun matchups that uh, we ever got to, that I ever got to see when I was working for the Bucks was Alvin Kamara and Levante David and how they kind of counteracted each other. And you add in Devin White, uh, who has not been without his share of drama this year. Had a good game this last week. Had though. a good game this week. He bounced back. Yeah. He bounced back. Um, you know, after being held out, I won't say benched or I won't say whatever, but he was held out and then he came back though and and seems to have uh figured some things out and, and the Bucks defense has as well so I just I that's a fun matchup I really like watching the linebackers especially the Tampa's Tampa's linebackers especially when they play the Saints and especially when they play Camara because you see some real creativity out of this defense and you can watch and appreciate Levante David for the player he has been and still is uh, let me ask you one Bucks question just before we move on it sounds like we're both leaning Bucks in this one um yeah which would make the Bucks the NFC South winners amazing <laughs> um and I well actually it's probably important setup because I think if the Bucks win the division this probably influences the answer to the question I'm about to ask which is do you keep Baker Mayfield as your quarterback next year do you not not do you think they will but would you Carmen keep Baker as quarterback yeah I think I would and I think that that's the way that that front office is leaning too because of the fact that He's been in the system. You don't necessarily, you're not going to have the opportunity to draft a new de- developmental yes. guy. You are going to have to pay a ton of money for a veteran. And if you're going to pay a veteran, why not play, pay the veteran that you has been in this offense for a year who has learned it. And again, it has been a serviceable quarterback. I mean, 
I've seen growth and improvement in Baker Mayfield this season. It's been inconsistent and it hasn't been linear, but there's been improvement and he has the chemistry with the guys that you're hoping to keep. They owe, they owe Mike Evans a contract too. So if they keep Mike Evans uh, and I, you know, they're, they're going to have some more cap flexibility because um, all or most of Brady's money uh, is off the books after this season. So they're going into next year with a little bit more flexibility as far as the cap goes. They should be able to still pay Mike Evans what he's worth and what he needs to stay in Tampa. And Baker Mayfield is he's, I feel like it's going to be a modest contract as far as like starting quarterbacks go, yeah, um, it's not going to be cheap, but it's not going to be what they're getting him for now. I just, yeah, I don't see, I don't, right. I don't, but yeah, I think that there are upgrades to be made around Baker Mayfield, but he can be a, a, a piece to build around. I, I'm inclined to agree. Obviously the devil's in the details, what kind of contract you give him matters, right. but if it's kind of like that mid-level quarterback contract, that's, you know, I don't know. We've seen given to the likes of like Tannehill or Gino to some extent, maybe it would, wouldn't be that big. Um, I, I think it makes sense. Uh, I agree with what you said, you know, just in terms of like the relationship with Mike Evans, Canales, if they, I mean, he's probably gonna start getting head coaching looks at some point, probably not this off season, but I do think that he has really um, identified Baker's strengths and built a really, mm-hmm. Uh, savvy offense around him and around the players that they have on their roster. Mayfield's playing aggressively, confidently attacking, as I've been saying. Um, and yeah, they're not going to be in position to draft one of the top quarterbacks. So it makes sense. I will say that I think they need to make a decision about, you know, are they, have they given up on Kyle Trask or how they feel about him? I feel like given some of the decisions they've made, it kind of suggests that they're, he's not uh, the future or, you know, someone that they believe in, in which case I do think they should graft a quarterback at some point right. and then take another shot on one. But Baker as um, the starter next year makes sense to me. It does. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Tampa. Exciting times. We'll see. Watch the Saints like crush them. And all of a sudden we're. <laughs> I know. Totally right? confused. It's NFC that would be a very so Bucks weird. thing no. to do. I don't know. Be a very yeah, Bucks right? Just delay. Like, I think they'll win the South, but if they win it this week, it would be a very Bucks thing to do to just like, roll over and then wait till the very last minute to win the division. Uh, let's wrap with Packers Vikings. We talked about the Jair Alexander suspension. How I want to take a bigger picture approach. To, so, so I guess we just lay out the stakes. Both teams are still in playoff contention. This game matters for both teams. Mm-hmm. The Dolph, the, the Vikings seem to be kind of like limping towards the finish with various yeah. injuries and quarterback changes and this and that. Uh, the Packers, well, Packers are a little more complicated. And that kind of brings me to the kind of the big picture question I want to ask you before we go into this game. Um, so Green Bay at this moment is 10th in DVOA on offense, 30th on defense. How much blame do you think Matt LaFleur, who I believe otherwise has been a very good head coach, calls the offense? We see how good this this offense to be 10th in offense after yeah. letting Aaron Rodgers walk, given the yeah. youth of the unit, is so impressive. Incredible. And yet, he is the head coach. The defensive yes. coordinator, Joe Barry, is his hire. Um if you want to see angry people, just write Joe Barry on the internet and <laughs> on- see Packers fans mature will appear out like you know, prairie dogs. Uh, yes. <laughs> 
how much blame do you think Lafleur gets for retaining him? Do you think also, but the, you know, it's not just the coaching; it's the players who haven't developed, or I mean, what? Because right. in, in some ways, if they don't make it to the playoffs, I think it, it's pretty fair to say it's because of the defense. It's absolutely fair because this defense, with all the talent on that side of the ball, eight first-round picks when everyone's healthy was supposed to be a unit that Jordan Love could rely on as he was getting his sea legs as a first-year starter, not the other way around. We've seen the defense blow late leads that Jordan, like come from behind leads multiple times this season and not be able to hang on to them. And the Packers ultimately lost in both of those games, which were what Atlanta and this last one against, against the Giants. You win both those games, then you are firmly punching your ticket to a playoff spot at this point. And the most disheartening thing, and why I think that Matt LaFleur deserves some of the blame here, or quite a bit of it, is because these were the same issues that the Green Bay Packers defense had last year. And you, I mean, the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results why you expected different results when there were no major changes made on defense. You also poured more draft capital in drafting Lucas Van Ness in the first round onto that side of the ball. Also, where has Lucas Van Ness been? I mean, he's been in the rotation a little bit, and I get wanting to kind of bring him along, especially when you have Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith ahead of him. But there's so many more creative things you can do with a player like that to bring him along and get him involved in the interior, get him on the outside. There is no creativity with this Green Bay offense and you'll defense. Thank you. There's a lot of creativity on the offense. If you'll allow me to, there's a very brief story where I literally texted Todd Bowles because so Todd was a mentor to me when I was in Tampa. It's the reason I know a lot about football. He's the reason I've learned a lot about football and in watching this Green Bay Packers team, I texted him at one point and I was like, you spoiled me. You completely just, gave me disillusions as to what a defense is supposed to look like because for all of the critiques that the unjustifiably critiques that Todd Bowles defenses have, they're creative as hell. And watching this Packers defense do the same thing over and over again, refuse to adjust within a game, not vary their game plan when it comes to one team versus the next, which do drastically different things. I'm like, I'm at a loss. I'm like, I don't, I don't think defense was played like this anymore. And it, it, you, you, your heart goes out to him because Joe Barry got to the podium the other week and was like, it's been a really tough week and whatever. And I, and I, I feel for him as a person, but this is where it comes down to Matt LaFleur making the tough decision saying, listen, we need to go in a different direction. I'm not, you know, and, and it's not anything against you as a person. We have a great relationship, but we need to go in a different direction. And he should have done that at the beginning of the season. I completely understand him not doing it now because what's the point? Right. Um, I, there's nobody that you like that entire staff is Joe Barry's staff. So you're not going to get someone to come in and drastically change things with a couple games to go in the season and that be effective. Like your personnel is your personnel. Your scheme is your scheme right now. You can't really do much to change that. So in that regard, and in retrospect, Matt LaFleur bears a lot of the responsibility for this. And I think that there, if there's not an outright ultimatum given to him, I think that it will be implied this off season that either you let Joe Barry go or we will let you go, which would be 
not good because I the, the offense, like you said, it's great. It's been it's really, really surpassed expectations. I think what's so um, in this game in particular, uh, it's kind of a perfect A-B test for like defensive coaching. I mean, on one side, you have a team that uh, I didn't expect their defense to be any good given the talent level and, and they're completely changing their defensive philosophy, hiring Brian Flores. They have radically surpassed expectations. Now, yeah they're still missing players. And I think you, you really saw that last week against Detroit, particularly in the secondary Flores is just like trying to make it work out there. Right. With um, some of the, you know, and I'll be interested to see in this game, whether he plays a little bit more man coverage, like he did last week um, Mm -hmm. against this green Bay offense. That's been missing some guys. And then on the other side, you have a a defense that's sort of the exact polar opposite in terms of Mm -hmm. underachieving relative to their perceived talent level yeah, and um, employing far less creativity schematically. And it's uh, the results kind of speak for themselves They're They, you know, they show up in the numbers, they show up on tape and they'll probably show up this week. I don't expect this Packers defense to come in and, and, you know, suddenly light the world on fire, even though we don't know who's playing quarterback. <laughs> Minnesota. Do you know who's playing quarterback? I don't know who's playing quarterback. No, no. As as of as of when we started this, they Kevin O'Connell was supposed to make a decision uh on Wednesday about who was going to be his quarterback, but he is not he's not inclined to announce that uh at any point. I think that the the Vikings would do well to just see what they have in Jaron Hall, especially because they are just limping in the almost literal sense uh towards the end of the season and even if they were to make the playoffs i mean that's not really the goal they need to make a decision at quarterback at at, at the end of the year which they were always going to have to make when they didn't pick when they didn't extend kirk cousins uh so we're gonna see who ends up playing but i i do it i don't know that it really matters because apparently joe barry comes in with a with, with a defensive plan regardless um regardless of who's playing and those players just have underachieved. I mean, Rashawn Gary should be contending for the league lead in sacks. Um, he's a special player. And I, I know a lot of green Bay fans feel like he's being underutilized. And again, my biggest gripe with this whole situation is that you have like Jordan love has overcome it. And, and I think that you tested his, like you tested some, you tested him with some adversity in the, in the, in this first season by, him having to make up for the defense's miscues, but that wasn't how this was supposed to go. You were, I think that the development could have been that much better of Jordan love had the Packers defense lived up to it's like you said, perceived talent level. And that's, that's the biggest issue I have. Love has been um, so impressive, you know, in what even mounting comebacks. It's uh, uh Last week against Carolina, like you, obviously not the problem. The offense, given the amount of points they put on the board, and uh, I'm excited to watch him this week because you know these teams met in Week Eight, and I think he's already a different quarterback from who he was back then. He's improved as the season has gone on. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't he wasn't awful in that game. I went back and looked at my notes, but um, Flores did affect him a lot with his pressures. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see, like, okay, you know, you've now gone through the ringer a bit. You've been, I, th- I think, he's been pretty solid against. Um, different blitzing teams since then. Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested in seeing kind of how he how he handles it, and um, we'll see which I'm not sure which um skill players will be available to them 
Yeah, because uh, last week they they lost players, or you know, they, in again, which made the by the way the offensive performance all the more remarkable. They didn't have Watson or Reed. Watson. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then and Dontavian Wick, Wick suffered the yeah. injury. Yep, suffered the yeah. injury. Yep. So we'll see who's available to them. Aaron Jones really picked up the slack in that game, but um, yeah, and he was another one that was that you know Jordan Love was supposed to be able to rely on, and not yeah. through any fault of Aaron Jones' own. I mean, it's been it's been injury related, but he has not been on the field as consistently as you would have hoped with a young quarterback. But despite all of that, I mean, Jordan Love is on pace for over four thousand yards this year, over thirty touchdowns, and thirteen interceptions. I believe his his numbers to Aaron Rodgers' first season are like eerily similar it's a difference of like what 27 yards and a couple of touchdowns and the same exact interception numbers but the most encouraging thing with me for me watching Jordan Love has been all right this week his his footwork was off and his fundamentals were a little off the next week that's not an issue anymore and he learns kind of week to week if he falls, you know, if he falters in one way or has something he needs to work on the one, the one week, he remedies it by the next. And he is constantly improving and evolving. And he's become so quick to make a decision. He's very decisive. And the way that he can read defenses, I just think, is so impressive for a guy that's not even done with his first full year in the NFL. Um, and I think that's why this is going to be very interesting to see. It's going to be like a, like a, what what was like those tests in in when you were growing up where it was like you you took the test at the beginning of the year yeah. and then to see what you've learned like the yeah. standardized test like see what you've learned by the end like yeah. he now gets a chance to do that against Brian Flores's defense which I think is I like going that. to attack him much the same way and he's yeah. gonna, you're going to be able to see his will. growth I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they, they do play a little bit more man in this one because I, I was looking back he struggled against it the first time the blitz he was kind of up up and down. They sacked him four times. So, yes. but yeah, it's like, okay, young Jedi, like you've, you know, you've surpassed various challenges since then. You know, yeah. at the beginning of the Packers season, um, I remember saying like, it doesn't really matter what happens. All you want to see is if you've got some enjoy and love. Yeah. But now we're here at the end. And I think, you know, you do have something enjoy and love. Mm-hmm. And, but then when you reflect on what we said at the beginning, which is your 10th in offense of DVOA and 30th in defense, you're mad. You're still mad because right. you know, even though you do, you, it's it's um, it's hard to live on moral victories, knowing that you could have had more. You can still have more. Yeah. It's not over. This is a loser goes home yeah. kind of situation. I, I lean Green Bay, which I think Me is too. entirely fair, given that we don't know who's playing quarterback for Minnesota. Exactly. And I don't see a fight in Minnesota to really like get into the playoffs because they know that there are still shifts coming and changes coming and everybody's hurt. Um, I think that, yeah. And I mean, not to say the Packers don't like Packers need to get into the playoffs because they don't, but um, it would still be just, again, I, I, exclamation point on the end of a season where you got the evaluation you needed on Jordan Love and you may have just done it again in this quarterback succession system that you have and making the playoffs is is something that would I feel like really affirm your decision to stick with Jordan Love throughout and maybe kind of catapult you into a longer term extension for him that'll be it'll be an interesting decision to be made that's for sure all right uh carmen as always we wrap with game picks little update on the standings in my family's pick league it did actually pretty well last week 
Uh, so our season standings, unfortunately, my mom is still very much in the league by like a lot. It's not close. I think I need to pick more upsets at this point to have a chance because she is going to be hard to catch. All right. So on the season in the Kimes family pick em league. Uh, I know it's she. Uh, hey, she picked the Panthers for the other. Anyways. So she is, oh God, she is 11 games up on me. So this is going to be rough. My brother is now five games up on me, which is not great. <laughs> My dad is in last place, which is funny. Um, okay. But, you know, it's still a chance. I got to pick some upsets. So so maybe mm. what I put in here won't be what I actually believe because I got to play the variance game a little bit. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not great over here in the Pick'em League. But anyways, all right. Let's pull up picks and the lines. Here we go. Okay, the Jets are at the Browns. The Browns are favored by seven and a half. I'm going with Joe Flacco. Yes. The football. legend grows. The legend, legend grows. grows. I mean, uh, I do worry about the Browns offensive line against this Jets pass rush, but mm-hmm. I'm equally worried about the Jets offense against the Browns defense. So. I was going to say the Jets offense yeah. as a whole. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, wow. Did Dallas is favored by six at home against Detroit. Uh, taking Dallas at home, although but I, I would might... too. I don't. Although I wouldn't pick that against the spread, though. Yeah, or I, yeah, like that's a big spread to me. I don't the like eight that. Seven Colts at home are favored by three and a half against Vegas. Uh, I'll take the Colts here against the Fighting Antonio Pierce's. God, the Colts <laughs> might be a playoff team. That's so weird. Shane Steichen needs more buzz for coach of the year. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, there's been some, but geez, Louise, like no one was giving this team a shot. Okay. Atlanta goes to Chicago. This is your account. The bears <laughs> are favored by three at home. So it's essentially a pick em. Justin yeah. Fields fighting for who knows. Um, What do you think? Better trade value. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh God. Um, I think I could go and upset on Atlanta. I still don't fully trust the Bears offense. I mean, obviously not trust the Bears offense. I don't even trust the defense yet like to the really be defense. consistent. I like the Atlanta defense a lot. And I think that they're going to be able to do some things uh, to confuse Justin. And I mean, yeah, no, I'm going to go Atlanta. The Jags. We don't know what Trevor Lawrence's status is, but we do know that they're playing Carolina at home. So they're favored by six and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't mind a Carolina upset here, but I don't know if that's gonna. I just Jags vibes are so bad around the Jags right now. I don't. I don't. I like the Jags defense too, so I think they'll be effective enough. Yeah, Carolina's can't really pick Carolina. No, I not feel good about it. Joe, although I do Panthers fans. Oh, maybe I'll mention this here. So this is on YouTube. You guys can watch on YouTube always every week. Next week, I am uh, going to do probably I'll put this on my podcast feed as well, but I'm going to do a YouTube episode going through all the crappy teams and giving them New Year's resolutions. So we will have some Panthers talk there. Um, And I will say with the obvious caveat that we just spent like 15 minutes trashing the Packers defense. Bryce Young did some nice things against him. He made some really, some really impressive throws, and that made me really happy good throws. All right, yeah. um, we already picked the Bucks. The uh, Cardinals are at the Eagles. The Eagles are favored by ten and a half. I would take the Eagles, but I would definitely take Arizona to cover that. Yes. Um, 
the Niners get to work out their frustrations on the Commanders. However, it's Jacoby Brissett who has been promoted to starter, which uh, Spark the City, Spark, Spark, Spark. These just all these like the, the this brings me to the Giants who are uh, the Rams go to New York. I'll pick the Rams, but the it's another one where Tyrod's been promoted back to starter. There are yeah. so many teams where it's like obviously the veteran backup was better than you know, the option. Right. DeVito in this case. Uh, the Patriots go to Buffalo, take the Bills. Bills are favored by 13. Yep. Uh, so, okay, so the, this is a big game. The Titans are playing the Texans at home. The Texans are favored by five. Assume that means, it's believed CJ Stroud will Stroud be Stroud is coming back, yeah. Oh, I, I, I just, come on, man. I want, I want, no. I, I, I have been missing watching him play. I know he's so fun and that team is so fun and they're so easy to root for. So if, yeah, if CJ Stroud, yeah, two Texans, he, he's probably coming back. Right. Ravens only favored by three and a half at home. I said, I'm picking Baltimore, but that's, that's yeah. a, that's close. Vegas thinks it'll be big, close. I mean, yeah, but the I'm going to take the Ravens at home too. Are only favored by three and a half at home against Mason Rudolph. I'll take Seattle there. Yes. I know Rudolph had like this crazy Christmas game. I was going to say, but that's Christmas and that's Rudolph and Rudolph only shows up for Christmas, right? There you go. God willing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Chiefs are favored by seven at home against the Bengals. I will take the Chiefs, but uh, even though the vibes are horrible around that team. Real bad. Bengals defense. But I'm not going to pick them to cover. Or I'm, I'm going to pick the Bengals to cover. Yeah. This is a get right opportunity, though, for the Chiefs offense because this Bengals defense is not good. So true. Mm -hmm. I will be side eyeing them if they can't do anything. Because um, the Raiders offense defense is sneaky, frisky. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Finally, oh, there's two more. The Chargers uh, at Denver, Jarrett Stidham, Easton Stick, Denver's favored by three and a half. I'll take Denver My for like a little dead cat bounce kind of game. My favorite part of this was like, well, they also want to see what Jared Stidham can do and if he can provide a spark for the offense. I'm like, that's coming straight from someone's agent. Good God. Like, like please so don't hard. say that with a straight face. There's You're trying so to get many. a spark out so of Jared Stidham. That's the thing about like all these quarterbacks being benched and elevated and whatever. It's like the level of spin is so hard to wade so through. So funny. Yeah, um, no, I mean, but yeah. I, I, I mean, Stidham was kind of good last year. I'll take Stidham. Yeah. Finally, I think we're both taking the Packers against the Vikings. Yes. Um, yes. Wow. What a week. Carmen Vitale, what a podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, helping me wade Thanks. through the NFC North, talking Bucks. Love talking Bucks with you. Might have to mm -hmm. do that again because the Bucks look like they might be a playoff team. We'll see. Um, thank you. As always, to the kind folks at Omaha, Kirsten Sebecki, Owen Saylor, Anthony Jimenez. You can follow Carmen on Twitter. Is it just Carmen Vitale or Carmi V? Carmi V, amazing. Carmi mm -hmm. V, so easy to find. Uh, and I will be <laughs> back next week. Uh, as always, you can check this podcast out on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Mina Kimes. If you're listening to the audio format, please rate and review. And thank you so much as always. Thank you.